Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Good morning. Hi. You ready for some great news? You're going to have to listen to the message and I'm going to tell you something. You know, we've had an incredible summer meeting here at San Diego State. It's been so wonderful for our kids, having these great, clean, new rooms to meet in, and it's been so uh, wonderful for our services to be in this excellent room, and we've even had air conditioned for the first time. It's actually funny, we've, we've for the first time had some complaints that it's too cold, in the summer, I'm so sorry, we can't control the air condition, but you can control your heat by bringing a jacket if you need to. And, uh, but we're so, we're, we've been so blessed and we're getting to minister to the, the community here and more and more people that are a part of this university. So it's been awesome. However, we knew that next week, next Sunday would be our last Sunday that we have a lease here at San Diego State. And we had gone and talked to the facilities directors and said, hey, it's been wonderful partnering with you. We've had a great relationship. Is there any way that we can stay here for the fall? And uh, although our relationship's been wonderful, they said, oh, well, there's these challenges and, and all the students come back and we're not sure if this can happen. And we went, oh, no. And uh, people continued to ask us, so what's the contingency plan? If we can't move it, meet at state, we said, there is no contingency plan. So this week, we received an email on Monday morning saying that the, the directors would meet with us one more time. And so you probably saw an email from me in your inbox. And thank you for all that jumped in and answered that uh, call to urgent fasting and prayer on Wednesday, and we all gathered together on Wednesday night just saying, God, we need you to do something for us to open up a door. We believe we're called to be at this place at this time. It's been powerful. This is central to our calling. Would you do something amazing? Today, I want to talk to you about becoming a contending community. Becoming a contending community. I, I love being a part of a community because it means you don't have to do life alone. And what I really appreciate being a pastor of this church is I'm not the only one believing for things. And so I was deeply touched when Mike Donald, one of the dear brothers in this church, said, hey, I've been praying about this situation, and I believe that 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is the word for us. It's a recipe for the church uh, meeting challenges, and I want to unpack that with you today. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Second Chronicles cha uh, chapter 20, and we're going to look at that. It says this, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazan, Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. So to summarize, the people of Israel are in trouble. 
right? This is the Old Testament. If you're new to the Bible, which we often have people that haven't uh, been students of the Bible for long, we're so glad you're here. The Bible's broken up into two parts. The Old Testament, which is before Jesus, the New Testament, which is after Jesus. This is an Old Testament story. The, the time is B.C. 872. That's when Jehoshaphat comes into his kingly office. Now, he's actually a good king. The children of Israel had had some bad kings, some kings that took them into all kinds of sin and all kinds of brokenness. But Jehoshaphat's a great king. He wants to worship the Lord. He wants the best for his kingdom. He's torn down the idols, the high places of worship. He's, he's driven out a lot of the sinfulness. But yet, there's a crisis. These different armies that hate the people of Israel are gathered to come and destroy them. I'm going to quickly go through 10 points. I'm going to do it really fast. 10 points for becoming a contending community. This is going to be important for you because there's going to be times in your life that you face challenges. In fact, point number one, point number one today is this. The people of God will face trials. The people of God will face trials. This is one of the biggest struggles that many people have is they say, I, I, I can't believe in God because if God is good, then why would he let bad things happen to good people? You ever had that argument before? You ever had that question posed to you before? Maybe you've had that thought before? Let me just tell you, that's one of the top arguments against a good God. Can I just tell you, the answer is really simple. We live in a sinful world. The Bible says that when sin entered the world, that all creation was subjected to frustration. Evil happens because sin has entered the world. When man chose sin, it brought in all kinds of decay and destruction. And there are evil people desiring to bring harm to the people of God. That's not God's desire. That's not his loving father's heart for you and for his people. Point number two, godly leaders call people to pray. I love this. Jehoshaphat hears about these armies gathered to destroy him and his people, and what does it say? It says, shaken, Jehoshaphat prayed. Can I just tell you that at times things are going to happen that are going to shake us, but it's what we do in the midst of the shaking. I like how the NIV says it. It says, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. Can I just tell you, we have a response. It's a, a natural response to us when something comes against us, and it's either fight or flight. Let me just tell you, too often the people of God choose flight. We run away from our problems. And in fact, it might not look like physical running, but we go into all kinds of things to mask our pain. That's why people run into drugs. They run into alcohol. They run into sexual immorality. Or sometimes it's, it's not things quite as destructive. We just run away to mask our pain into our hobbies or into food. We, we're just trying to escape when God's calling his body to rise up and fight. But fighting looks much different in the kingdom than it does in the world. And that's what we want to unpack this morning. I learned this walking in a church body right outside of college. Right when I finished college, I became a college pastor in Antioch Community Church. And 
I remember the day that one of my friends told me that she felt called to go to Afghanistan as a missionary. And I, I was, you know, quite overwhelmed because I knew the danger that she'd face. Heather Mercer was a, a very normal college student, but she had a fire for God. And she, she had had her heart broken for the trials and the tribulations of the orphans and widows in Afghanistan and said, I have to do something about it. And so a team had formed. And I'll never forget the day I got the phone call that Heather Mercer and my other friend Dana Curry had been imprisoned in Afghanistan by the Taliban. But I'll also never forget what my pastor, Jimmy, did that day. He immediately grabbed his phone and grabbed his sleeping bag and headed to the prayer room and said, I'm camping out here to pray. You know, that's the next point. A godly leader calls the people to pray, and he leads out himself. That's what I, I saw Jimmy do. He immediately started calling the church to pray. I remember him saying, how would you want people to pray if it was you that was imprisoned in Afghanistan? I thought, man, I want people praying all the time. <laughs> we, we started sign-ups so that we could have 24-7 prayer going on in our prayer room. Life groups were praying, groups were praying, groups of moms were gathering, businessmen were gathering at lunch. We were praying and praying and praying, but all of a sudden things got worse. Airliners collided into the World Trade Center. 9-11 was on us. And our nation came to a place of prayer. The, the Christians rose up and started calling out for God to do something to comfort our nation, to move in our nation. But they also started praying for my friends that were in prison in Afghanistan. They also started praying, God, would you end the oppression in Afghanistan? And by a miraculous turn of events, the President of the United States ordered an executive order and the Navy SEALs went out and got our friends out. It was awesome. Go Navy. <laughs> They appeared in the Rose Garden speaking next to President Bush. It was absolutely amazing. They were giving praise to Jesus on national TV. But that wasn't the end of the story. God had an even bigger plan. Afghanistan, where at the time there was no known group of gathered believers, started having people come to know Jesus in rapid succession until there were thousands of known believers with groups gathered all over the country. And one of the most oppressive regimes where persecution and, and preaching the gospel was punishable by death, within months, the Jesus film was aired on national TV. Ha, amazing! God does miracles when his people come together to pray. Verse 3b, not just prayer, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Say, uh-oh. <laughs> What's a fast? A fast is simply going without food to focus on prayer. It's going without food to focus on prayer. Fasting is one of our most powerful weapons. Point three, fasting is a powerful weapon in responding to challenges. We don't fast to earn God's favor. Fasting is like putting up a sail for the wind of the Spirit to blow into. 
You know, a, a sailboat isn't a powerful boat, but it can fly at an at at incredible speed when it catches wind and you put up a massive sail so it can use the natural energy. That's what fasting is. It's saying, God, we desperately need you to blow on our lives. You know, many people look back to this book called The Atomic Power of Fasting and Prayer as a book that launched forth many of the moves of God in the last 70 years in the United States. Do you know the city it was written in? San Diego, California. This is part of our calling. Look at your neighbor and say, "Uh uh-oh. (laughs) Because I don't like to fast, but I love the power that's released when we do it. I love that God's given us this weapon. Fasting is utter weakness. But it makes it desperate. It makes us desperate for the power of God. And you ask, you know, does it really change things? Can, can it really change communities? Uh, I met 15 years ago a, a minister named George Otis Jr. He has a really interesting ministry. He travels around the world chronicling places that have had societal transformation through the power of God finding different communities that have been in disrepair, that have had all kinds of societal problems, but where the church got serious about fasting and praying and then saw God transform the situation. One of these places was in northern Quebec, uh, an Inuit community. And this community was riddled with alcoholism and lawlessness and suicide was taking out the young generation. And I want to show you this clip of what happened when a community got serious about fasting and praying. Annie Tertuluk has lived on Quebec's remote Ungava Peninsula since 1964. As Annie and her husband Mark know all too well, alcohol became a troublesome companion to many Inuit. We were one of the worst um, couple in town because we were young and we were drinking. I think the whole community was drinking at that time. I remember one time that the whole community was drunk. There were no laws. The frozen north was more like the wild west. No police. Life was dangerous. No rules in the community. Throughout Pond Inlet, small groups of intercessors were pounding heaven with prayers for revival. The people were convicted and were drawn uh, to the Lord in great numbers. Believers had gathered for a week of revival meetings at the Anglican Church. Hungry for God and troubled by new reports of community drug use, they decided to add a special Sunday afternoon youth service. Something started to happen that uh, was out of our control. This noise started coming. A dual cassette deck used to record the service was still running off the soundboard. Right away, I wanted to stop. But it kept getting louder, and and I started to notice that people were kind of getting a little nervous. It was so strong, so strong. It was so loud that everything started to shake. Fire went right through me. It sounded like a jet. Things started to shake. I started to shake. Uh, this community was, was really revived, uh, really revived by the Lord. The whole community was really amazing. Once again, an important key was fervent, united prayer. The travail rose as incense before God and the heavens 
open. We were seeing results, a lot of results, good results. Suicide has completely gone on the downtrend. In fact, crime at all levels has diminished. People started to get sick. Oh, it's a different story. Hearts and relationships have been mended. God is just changing communities. God has even touched the land itself. The land is, is starting to produce and become productive. 20 years ago, there was no caribou. And since that time, the, the caribou's are coming back here. Even fish in the lakes were starting to grow. Even the land is starting to produce some little plants. The love of God is not only deep and persistent, it is also purposeful. Isn't that incredible? Come on! You know, that, that's why we call this fast on Wednesday. We said we need God's intervention into this challenge. And can I just tell you that we're going to face numerous mountains before us in the future. We've got to become a contending community. I love this, verse four, and, and it's what was alluded to in this video. It says, the country of Judah united in seeking God's help. Let me just say point number four, there's power when we unite. Say unite and seek God's help. God loves a uni united body. So there's times where we just call the church together. Uh, when are these times? It's times when there's problems facing us all. Now, listen, we, we can't call a fast and, and prayer meeting every time we have a problem. I, I have sweet people come up to me and say, Pastor, Pastor, my aunt in Idaho needs a job. Can we get the whole church to pray? And I, my heart is like, yes. But I also know if we fast and pray every time there's a problem, we would never eat again. And I love to eat. So when, when do we call these? We call these fasts and, and, and prayer times when it's issues that face the whole community. Uh, but, but then there's also smaller communities, and why, that's why it's so important. I hope you're taking notes today, because you belong not just to a large community church, but you also belong to a smaller community. You belong to a life group. And there's times for life groups to come together to contend. Each week in my life group, there's an email sent out, and, and people say, please pray for this. And, and they're very honest and vulnerable with major issues, and our life group tackles those issues together. There's times for your family to unite together. If you have a Christian family, it's time to gather the family and say, we're believing for this. That's what I do with Stephanie and my kids. We get together and say, we're believing for this. There's groups of you that work at the same business. And so you need to gather together and say, we're believing for this and this company or this person's salvation. There's different students. You go to the same school. Gather that community and contend together. Last week, I had an interesting experience. Up here on the front row was a woman I hadn't seen in 15 years. She had her husband that I had never met, their kids. She comes up to me and she goes, Robert, look at you. <laughs> look at me. She's like, you're a pastor now. And look at this church. And I knew why she was saying that. Because in 1997, she had gotten together with a small group of students and they had contended for me. 
They had a burden for me. I had come to college, and I, and I loved God, but I was spending my energy. I was the, the social chair of a big fraternity, so I was spending all my time just trying to have fun social events. And they saw a calling on my life, and she told me about a night where there was a group of people, and into the night, they were on their knees crying and travailing, calling me into my kingdom destiny. Wow. I am so thankful for a contending community. And God's calling us all to be a part of those type of communities. We're going to be called to contend for marriages. We're going to be called to contend for finances. We're going to be called to contend for health. God is raising up this people to become a contending community. Verse 5, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. So he's called them together, he's declared a fast, and now he stands up in front of the people and watch this, this is his prayer. It says, and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who's in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Here's point five. Begin by declaring who God is. That's where we start. We worship. We start by declaring the goodness and the power and sovereignty of God. That's what we did on Wednesday night. If you were with us, we didn't start with our problem. We started with the bigness of God. We come together and we lift his name up. That is our calling. Our calling as the body of Christ is to praise God and declare who God is. The church is called to declare the goodness of God in a hurting and broken world. The church has been called to make manifold the goodness of God even to the principalities that are standing against God. And so that's what we do. And here's what happens when we declare who God is. All of life comes in perspective. Your mountains come into perspective before a mountain-moving God. Your mountains seem to get smaller and smaller when you think about the one who created mountains. When you think about the one who can cast a mountain into the sea is what scripture says. Verse seven, he goes on. He says, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Oh, I love that, point six. Recount what God has done for you. We start with God's bigness, bigness, then we go to recounting his faithfulness. Let me just tell you, your faith will be built when you recount God's faithfulness. You need more faith, you go, oh, I just need more faith, I don't have much faith in this situation, then recount God's faithfulness to you. You need more faith, recount his faithfulness. So that's what we did. After we declared who God was on Wednesday night, we said, now, let's get in groups and thank God for what he has done in this church. We need a place to meet. We're in a crisis. We don't have a lease after next weekend. But God, you've always provided for us. God, we remember when you opened the door for a perfect home, six houses from San Diego State campus, and scores of state students came to know you. God, we celebrate when we outgrew that, that you opened up in a weekend, you opened up Horace Mann Middle School, and we didn't have any money. There was just students and, and people that were desperately poor, and a person overheard us talking in a coffee shop, and they got us $10,000. 
In a day, God, you provided. That's who you are. You're the providing God. And God, then you opened up Crawford High School and you moved in power. And so many Crawford students got saved that it's become a model of a church partnering with a high school. Oh, God, you're so good to us. And so, God, certainly you're going to move again. That's who you are. That's who you are. You recount God's faithfulness. Goes on. Verse 8, Jehoshaphat's still praying. He says, they have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine. Did you see that? Jehoshaphat saying, okay, we've, we've lived in this land you've given us, but God, whether calamity comes on us whether the sword of judgment comes on us, whether a plague comes on us, whether famine comes on us. I mean, he is naming the worst possible scenarios that can happen to a people. Right? We haven't experienced any of these in our generation in the United States. But look what he says next. Whether calamity comes on us, sword of judgment comes against us, plague or famine, we will stand in your presence. We talked last week about the power of covenant friends. We talked about the difference between being convenient friends. Convenience is when it feels good for me, I'm gonna be your friend, versus covenant friend. Even if it takes sacrifice, even if it's painful, I am covenanted. I am promised to be a friend to you. I will stand with you. You know where that starts? It starts by being a covenant friend of Jesus. What was Jehoshaphat doing? He was covenant, covenanting his people to the Lord. He said, God, we're not just here if you are good to us. Right, that's how a lot of Christians are. God, if you bless me, then I'll walk with you. God, if things go good, I'll be at church on Sunday. God, if you bless me financially, then I'll tithe. Right, no, this is not what Jehoshaphat's saying. He says, God, if calamity comes upon us, if sword comes against us, if famine or plague is there, we're still here. We're still standing. I love that song, I'll stand with arms high and something, yeah. <laughs> Is that your resolve? <laughs> Are we a resolved people? God, even if the ground falls out from under me, I'm still with you. I'm with you in good times and in bad. That's a covenant people, that's the church we want to be, point seven, commit to standing with God no matter what happens. And then he says this, and now it's happened. Men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir have shown up. You didn't let Israel touch them when we got here at first. We detoured around them and didn't lay a hand on them, and now they've come to kick us out of the country you gave us. Can I just say that there are gonna be times where we're confused in our lives as the people of God. I, I, Jehoshaphat's being really real. He's saying, God, okay, remember you let the Israelites, you delivered them from Egypt and then they were going into the promised land and you didn't let us take out these people and now it's coming back to haunt us. They're coming to destroy us. God, I don't get it. You know that the apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament said, we're perplexed. We're, we're distressed. 
It's okay to be confused at times, but we're still gonna stand. But we're still gonna put our faith in his faithfulness. There, he's confused on what's going on. And then look at what verse 12 says. This is where it gets good. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Point eight, we have to be okay with feeling helpless. That is so un-American. Like, we are the country of Rocky Balboa, right? You get beaten down, go beef up. Drink some protein shakes. Start punching a dead cow carcass. Get strong and knock out your enemy. And the Bible says, no, there's gonna be times where you're helpless. You know, everyone wants a miracle. Everyone wants to walk in the miraculous. We're all like, ooh, I want that. But no one wants to be in a situation where you have to have one. We're like, oh, God, I love miracles. I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. Except on the day where you're like, I have to have a miracle. Ah, I hate this. But that's the only way you get a miracle is if you need a miracle. Or it wouldn't be a miracle. <laughs> we have to be okay with feeling helpless, right? It's not how powerful your punch is, it's how set your gaze is. It's not how powerful your punch is, it's how fixed your focus is. And that's what Jehoshaphat says, we don't know what to do. This is a king, can you imagine a king getting in front of the nation and going, I want to make my presidential kingly speech. We don't know what to do, <laughs> but our eyes are on you. Wow. Verse 13. Well, and let me just say this. That's what we said this week. Like, God, we're helpless. We, we, we feel called to be here. We want to be here, but we can't make it happen. You know, we can't just go in and all this money or, or all the, no, we got, you just got to, Here's what happened. We went back in and said, hey, can we meet here in, in, the, in the fall? And the, the, the directors of the facility said, hey, we love working with you. You're great, but there, things change in the fall. And, and, and we have to prioritize this, and we don't know if this would work, and it, it just doesn't, it doesn't look like that could happen. And so we're like, oh boy. So what do you do when you, when you sense that something's from God? that you're supposed to be somewhere. You say, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, God. All the men of Judah, verse 13, with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. If you were at our, our meeting on Wednesday night, it was chaotic. We had all these kids just <laughs> screaming in the front. <laughs> but you know what? That's how it's supposed to be because I want my children to see the hand of God. So it's messy and loud and awesome. Verse 14, then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, 
and he stood in the assembly. If you remember, Asaph was a prophet. What, what does this mean? This is a prophetic minister. The spirit of the Lord comes on this person. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. So this is what we did on Wednesday night. We said this is maybe a little different from a, a, a normal prayer meeting, but we are going to take time to wait and listen because God is a speaking God. And in this situation, and this is what we believe God's led us to, they got together, they fasted, they united, they prayed, and then they waited. And so we're gonna believe for God to speak. It was amazing. We had four different people come and say that they had all had dreams. And in the dreams, we had state for the fall. Different people had visions of what God was gonna do, how he was gonna impact this community, how he was gonna touch our church. You know, God is a God who speaks. In verse 15, it says, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Okay, you know why I love that? Because that's a word over your life. If little John Mark, my smallest child, eight years old, starts getting picked on, someone comes against him, a big army comes against him, I'm not gonna say good luck, John Mark. No, all of a sudden, that's my battle. Why? Because I'm his daddy. And that's how God is with you. Don't you remember in the book of Acts, Jesus stops Saul and says, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, what in the world? But he was persecuting Christians and God said, then you're persecuting me. When we get picked on, God says, it's my battle. And I love it. <laughs> I love that. Tomorrow, march down, this is verse 16, against them, they will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. Can I just tell you that God speaks very clearly. God spoke to this prophet very clearly of what would happen. How many times is God giving answers to the problems that we have but we're not listening? We wanna be a listening church. We wanna be a church that contends and then we wanna be a church that listens. You will not have to fight this battle, verse 17. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord that he will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Can I just tell you, whatever trial you're in today, the Lord will be with you. No matter what we face in the future, all people's church, the Lord will be with us. Point nine, we gotta wait for God to speak. We have to wait for God to speak. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, this is what they had been called to do. They were called to send out the worshipers. God fights battles in a different way than we fight battles, right? God wants to fight a battle and he says, worship team, get to the front. Lift my name up, declare who I am, and I'll fight the battle for you. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. 
You go, that doesn't make sense. I know, and I love it. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir. So like the enemy starts turning on each other, and they help to destroy one another. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they help to destroy one another. That doesn't make sense. I know. I love it. I love it. It doesn't make sense. But God, I don't care how you do things. I just want to win. I don't care how I win. I just want to win. God can win. God, God can win a card game with a pair of twos. Right? I, I don't care how he does it. I, I just love that he's doing it. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value more than they could take away. You know, in the Old Testament, reward and plunder was often material wealth, money, resources. In the New Testament, it's the souls of men and women. It's a harvest of souls. It says here that there was so much plunder that it took three days. Can you imagine all day long just going, I can't keep gathering in all these riches. That's what I'm believing for that God's gonna do with us is that it's gonna be too much of a harvest to bring in in one day. Sorry, you're gonna have to come back tomorrow and get saved. There's just too many people coming. What a great harvest. That's what I'm believing for. I believe that's what God wants to do. And watch this. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Berica, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the valley of Berica to this day. What does the valley of Berica mean? It means the valley of praise. After God won the fight, he renamed the place. After God won the fight, he renamed the place. Could it be that God is wanting to rename this place? That it goes to be known as a place of praise, a place of joy, a place of worship, a place of his presence, a place of the blessings of God falling on undeserving people. So Kendall and myself and Dr. Paul, you know, here we are, go into this meeting, just us three, weak, we don't know what to do. And we sit down and they say, we'd love to work with you this fall. <laughs> we got it! <laughs> you ask, how did that happen? I don't know! Well, who did what and who said, I don't know, but I'm happy. It was God. God opened up the door. God did it. And there's just, there's things that happen in the history of a community that will forever be etched in their spiritual DNA. And this is one of them that we'll talk to our kids and say, we don't understand, but this place opened up for us to proclaim the name of Jesus. And God did it, only God. Woo! 
And much like the children of Israel and their journey, it's not perfect. Right? I mean, you remember this, right? They were, they were captives in Egypt. And, and God splits a Red Sea and all kinds of miracles. And then they walk through the Red Sea into the Garden of Eden. Nope. <laughs> they walked into the desert where there was no water and no food. And they were taught to keep believing in God and to not complain. So we meet, we've got it for the fall. But there are three Sundays that they told us we can't have it. That's okay with me. And they said, one of the reasons that we're giving this to you is because you're willing to be flexible. And so there's gonna be some days that we need you to have your services instead of the morning and the afternoon. I, I, like for me, I'm like, cool. <laughs> that sounds good to me. But I know there's also, everyone doesn't love change like I do. Some of you are like, I like things right on that nose, right here every single day. I do eat, drink my coffee like this and eat my breakfast like this and put on my pants. And I know, I know it's going to be a little challenging. But, but God wants a thankful people and God wants a flexible people. And God wants a, wants a strong people. And so he marched the children of Israel not into straight into the promised land because he was still building them and training them and teaching them. And so there's still going to be some challenges. And so we want to have a thankful heart and say, but God, look what you did. That was awesome. I'm okay. I can come to church at 1 on some days instead of 11. I will be okay. You know, God is teaching us to be a, a contending community. And it has to do with so much more than just us. I believe he wants to change people's lives. He wants to touch a city. He wants to touch a campus. He wants to touch a state. He's raising up a people who will deploy churches to the ends of the earth. And that only happens by a strong, contending church. It only happens when a church says, we'll contend, we will keep going, we'll keep pressing in. God, we understand that you've relegated your power to the prayers of your saints, but you do immeasurably, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So my question is, will you contend, church? Will you keep contending? Because this isn't the end. Like, ah, end of story. All peoples has a place to meet. Boop. No, this is just the beginning. God's called us to contend for a city. We're believing for San Diego to be a transformed city, that one day San Diego will be on that video. And they said at one time San Diego only had 6% of people in churches on a Sunday morning, but now it's 96%. And for someday, people, people to say, the crime rate has just plummeted, and drugs have plummeted. And for them to say, we've seen marriages, people move here so that their marriages can be reconciled. And families come here because it's a place where people raise healthy families. And people are being sent from San Diego 
all over the world. It's become known as a sending city to the nations of the world. We're going to contend. We're called to contend. And my question is, will you be a part of it? Thank you. I heard about seven. That was awesome. I'll take seven. (laughs) Daily, weekly, monthly. Here's what I'm asking you. Daily, weekly, monthly. This isn't big, but this is a great place to start. Daily. Would you commit to praying every day for this church? Would you commit to praying every day for this church and praying every day for revival in our city? It's this simple, saying, God, I pray that you would move in our church like you would have done it. Can you do that? And every day, God, would you bring revival to our awesome city of San Diego? Can you just every day pray those two prayers? If you have more grace, pray it longer. I'm gonna pray it longer than one sentence, but at least start there. Can you, can you be a contending people every day? Secondly, can you be a a contending people every week? You do that in your life group. You go together, get with your little kingdom dream team, your little God squad, okay? Get in there with them, get with your little platoon, okay? And, 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 And pray with them. Pray for them. God has called you to uplift a certain people. And that people is your life group. If you're not in one, please join one. You will never be all you're created to be if you're living outside of New Testament community. You need a people to walk with. And lastly, would you, would you contend with us in our monthly, we pray once a month, we gather the church to pray. And I know at different times you have to miss and I can't be there and at different times we travel, but would you have that as a, a core commitment? When I'm in town, when I can, I join with my church and we call, Father in heaven, won't you rend the heavens and come down? We actually believe, God, that you answer prayers. I don't wanna just watch it about an Inuit village in northern Quebec. I wanna live it in San Diego, California. Would you contend God moves in response to the prayers of his people and we wanna be that kind of people. Would you stand up with me? Let's just pray, and would you just tell the Lord, if you're in to being a contending person in this community, would you just tell him right now? And would you ask him for grace? Maybe you could even just put your hand on your heart and just say, God, I need grace. God, I need grace. You know, I don't think any of us are gonna get to the end of our lives and say, I regret that I contended. I regret I prayed it too much. Wish I wouldn't have wasted all that time. I believe that we'll get to heaven and we'll be blown away by God's response to our prayers. I believe as we get to the end of our life, we will be so thankful that we joined a contending community. Father, here we are. Make us a church that contends. Lord, thank you for what you've already done. And God, we thank you for this victory. Let's just thank God for the victory, the answer to prayer. Let's lift up our voices. Let's lift up applause. God has answered our prayer. This week, God has given us a place to worship him. God has given us a place to stand. If I could just have the prayer team come forward. I know that there's different ones. You need to contend for different things this morning. We're going to continue to contend for healing. We're going to continue to believe that this will be a place where when people that have cancer walk in, that they can be healed. 
I believe that God wants to increase the level of healing anointing. We're seeing many medically verified healings, but we believe for more. Jesus laid hands on the sick, and they were made well. The disciples, the apostles did that. We've seen that, but we want to see so much more. We want to believe for financial needs to be met. We want to believe for those who have addictions to be set free through prayer. We want to believe for all kinds of relationships to be restored, for marriages that are on the brink of divorce and and even have experienced that, to be reconciled, for families to be brought together. If you have a prayer need this morning, I want you to just come forward. The rest of us, let's just lift our hands and let's declare, God, we will stand. We will stand before you. We will stand and contend. We will be your people, a contending community for your kingdom to come on earth. Stephen, just lead us now as we pray. You come now as you need prayer.